Well, let's turn in our Bibles, if you have your Bible, to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 9 this morning. If you need to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand real high, and the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow along with us. We've been making our way through this letter of 2 Peter, the book of 2 Peter, just chapter by chapter and verse by verse, I think most of you know. So we're looking at two verses this morning. We'll unpack these two verses. Entitled our message, God's Timing, Temperance, and Tenderness. We'll see all three of those elements there. Thank you, Ryan. Does anybody need to borrow a Bible? You can wave at Ryan. All right, 2 Peter 3. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, please. As we read God's word, in verses 8 and 9, Peter writes, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Your Bible might say slow or delayed, as some count slackness, but rather God is long-suffering towards us. He's patient. And why? Well, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all, that's you and me, that's our family, that all should come to repentance. Two verses. They're full of good stuff. Uh, Let's pray and we'll dig in. Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, we thank you for your tremendous provision in our lives. Lord, your goodness and how it's manifested in so many ways. It's manifested in the fact that Lord, we we have a bed to sleep in and a roof that covers our head. Lord, it's manifested in that um, we can be in a public place in your house without worry of uh, or fear of being found out, our lives at risk. Lord, we can worship you openly and publicly. Lord, it's manifested in the people that we're standing next to our friends and our family, our brothers and our sisters, your goodness displayed in relationships and friendships, Lord. God, your goodness is displayed in the fact that we are are holding Bibles or we're holding electronic devices that have many Bibles and resources on it. Lord, how you've provided for us in so many ways. And Lord, it's manifested in the fact that um, we get to worship you and acknowledge your goodness and your love and that we've been saved, that our name is written in your book of life. Lord, your goodness is manifested in Jesus and all that he is and all that he's done for us. And Lord, as we read and study your word now, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, to be more than just academics, God, that you would transform us from the inside out, we pray. And whatever things that we've brought into this room, Lord, we pray, help us to cast our cares to you. Help us to leave them at the foot of the cross. That we might 
leave changed, more in love with you. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Take a moment and greet your neighbor, and then you can have a seat. So when you, you make your way through the scriptures, you come to realize that God's kingdom operates on a radically different standard than the world. It's a completely different paradigm. I mean, his, his economy, if we can call it that, his, his economy of, of power, how God views and presents power and position to us, they, they are poles opposite of the standard of, of the world and what the world promotes. Right? Greatness in the kingdom is measured by humble uh, servanthood. Where greatness in the world is often measured by being self-made and self-powered and self-sufficient. Right? The metrics of success are usually uh, the number of titles that we have or the parking spot that we might get or the size of a paycheck, but not so in, in the kingdom of God. His metric of, of power really is, is being spirit empowered. That we're not self-made, but we're, we're dying to self and that we're spirit led and that we're not self-sufficient, but that we are uh, completely sufficient or def, uh, dependent upon the Lord, right? A God-given sufficiency. That, that's the, that's the standard operating procedure for the Christ follower. And so his economy of power and position is completely different. God's, God's economy of wealth and, and what defines worth and riches, it's completely different. It, it's, it's incompatible with what the world presents. The Bible just tells us plainly that, that the love of money is the root of all evil. That many people have... Uh, experience a lot of heartache and suffering in the pursuit of, of earthly riches. But in the Lord's economy, the measure of our worth is defined by him. And it's expressed and realized really through, through relationship with God and then with others. If you've been around our church for a while, you've heard us say that, that relationships are the currency of our faith, right? That, that's what we want to invest in that, 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 that's what has the highest dividends. When we invest in the kingdom of God, it pays eternal dividends. And God promises the highest rate of return. The, the Bible points us to the fact that if we really want to be rich, if you really want to have a fullness of life, then, then learn to be the person who freely gives. In fact, he even says, it's better. It's a better thing that we would give than to receive. And so the economy of wealth and worth and rich is completely different. And, and God's economy of time, of duration, of speed, it's completely different. It's antithetical to the world's view in the economy of time. You know, the, the world often wears busy as, as a badge of honor and and the faster something is, the quicker something is, we, we tend to view that as better. Faster is better. Quicker is better. Speed is esteemed. 
And yet um, with the Lord, that's not necessarily the case. He operates at the speed of heaven, if you will. Now God is a God of time. He's a God of timing. As we were reminded last Sunday, earlier in this passage where Peter's writing and he talks about how God, God is the God of creation. And so God created time and we know he sets forth seasons and time and days. And he marked out the hours and the months for us. Um, you know, but with the Lord God's calendar, it, it never needs updating and his time and his timing is perfect. Maybe you've heard it said, God is never too early and he's never too late. Even though from our perspective, it may seem sometimes he's late or he's delayed to us. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. We read that God's made everything beautiful in its time. And he said eternity in the human heart. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So we make our way through scripture and we see that the economy of God in terms of power and position is completely different than the world's God's economy of, of wealth and worth and riches are completely different than the world's and God's economy of time is completely different. And in many ways, that's where Peter brings us into. I draw your attention back to verse eight. As we read, he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So we'll just start from the beginning. When he makes this contrast, we see that word, but he says, but beloved. He's been writing to the same audience. However, he's been speaking about mockers and scoffers. He's been talking about what they do and how they think and their approach and these false teachers. And so the audience is the same, but the contrast is who he's addressing. And so it's a contrast of identity to the church, to the Christian, to the Christ follower. He says, uh, but to you, this is something we're to do differently. Of course, that, that term beloved, we talked about before in the beginning of verse three, where he says, beloved, I now write to you the second epistle. It speaks of relationship that Peter had with the audience, but also speaks of our relationship with God, with each other, even as we sang. And so I thought it's just good for us to start there. Above all else, nothing else this morning, it's good for us to remember and know that you, you are loved by God. God loves you with an everlasting love that nothing can separate you from his love, not height or depth, nothing created. Guess what? Not even yourself. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You know, everyone is God's creation, but not everyone is a child of God. And it's that relationship that God desires. It's a relationship, a loving relationship to be the beloved of God. And it's, it's not through religion, it's not through rules, it's not through rituals. But it's to come into a, a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And, you know, and, and being the beloved of God, that, that's, 
That is the great game changer of our life. That we're no longer slaves to sin or to fear or to our past. That we've been set free. And being the beloved of the Lord then means that our priorities change. Our passions change. Our pursuits change. It means that our perspectives should change. And that's what Peter brings us into. It's, it's a change of perspective. It's a change of pursuit. It's a change of passion. He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. And so not only is it a contrast of identity from what and who the mockers and scoffers and false teachers are, there's also a contrast of action from what they do in their pursuits. Remember, he told us they, they willfully forget. They, they intentionally ignore the truth. But for us, we are, it's the opposite. We, we are to uh, intentionally not forget. We are to willfully remember, purposely keep this in the front of our, of our minds. And in these two verses, this is the only imperative that we find, by the way, directed towards us. What are we to do in response? Well, we're, we are to remember. Do not forget this one thing. We're to remember. Now, this one thing he's going to uh, present to us has different parts to it. And so we're to remember who the Lord is and how God operates. But it, there's going to be several things in these two verses that Peter will lay out for us that it's good for us to remember. But he brings a focus to us. Hey, hey remember this one thing. And, and I appreciate that. Because I, I imagine that they, like me and you, like we, we can get distracted by a lot of different things. And we can find ourselves then not focused not remembering. And, and so at times what happens because we get distracted at all that pulls at us, it, the, you know, the one thing can get diluted. The important things can get lost. I, I think about, about Martha, Mary and Martha, the two sisters, their brother Lazarus in the gospels in Luke chapter 10, we read as Jesus goes there to ha have a you know, time of gathering a meal. In Luke 10 verse 40, it tells us that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And I think, man, what, a, what an appropriate kind of passage, especially as we come into the holidays. And many of you, maybe you could relate to Martha. No one's debating her love for Jesus. No one's no one's going to debate that she opened her home, that, that there's, you know, an act of hospitality and she wanted to bless the Lord and, and bless the guests. She wanted to do her best. So maybe, maybe you relate, you love the Lord uh, and you want to do your best for Jesus, but you've been busy almost too busy, busy to the fact that, you know, to the point where that you're distracted by all of the preparations that have to be made. And, and so 
in that, what happens is Martha then begins to complain. And she, in fact, tells Jesus because her sister is just, you know, she's sitting there and she's listening to the Lord and she's having a time of just connecting and, and, and fellowship. Martha basically tells Jesus, hey, tell my sister to get off her lazy bum and come help me. And, and Jesus responds to Martha in Luke ten forty two, and he says, Martha, you are worried. And the idea is that you are preoccupied. You're too worried. You're, you're inundated. You're overcome by so many things. And then he says, there's only one thing that's worth being concerned about. And the idea is at this moment. And he says, and, and, and Mary, she's discovered it. And it's not going to be taken away from her. You know, gang, it, it's good for us to be refocused in the midst of busy, in the midst of hurry, in the midst of, you know, frenetic. There's just so much going on. It's good for us to be reminded of what, of what really matters most. And it's good for us to be, you know, we, we need to remember just to keep the main thing, the main thing. And almost have a guard that we wouldn't allow ourselves to get overrun once again. Maybe if you're like me, I tell myself this every year. To get overrun by, by all the things. And so what's the one thing that God would have you to lock in on? It's the one thing that the Lord would say, just don't forget this. Here, here's priority. Here's perspective. Here's, here's pursuit. In this context, Peter provides a focus of this one thing for them. It's the discussion and the debate about the timing of the return of Christ. He says, beloved, don't forget this one thing. What's the one thing for them at this time in this moment? Well, the Lord's timing. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And so what does Peter want them, want us to remember well? What, is, what, what are we to remember when it comes to the promised return of Jesus Christ? In a few weeks here, we're going to celebrate his first advent when he came the first time. But there is a second advent coming. The Lord is coming back again. He's promised to return. And so what are we to, to lock in on? Well, we're to remember that God's economy at time is not the same as ours. And Peter paraphrases Psalm 90 verse four. Psalm 90 verse four says for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. It's like a watch in the night. Another translation reads, for you, God, a thousand years are like a passing day as brief as a few night hours. Now, when we read this, I, I want to suggest to you that Peter wasn't necessarily giving us a, a, a default decoder ring when it comes to prophecies of the second coming. 
And that somehow that every mention of, of a day now all of a sudden, you know, is automatically going to mean a thousand years. And so sometimes people pull that out and they overlay it on everything they find in scripture and say, oh, that must mean a thousand years. That must mean a thousand years. We, we have to be careful in our understanding of this verse and, and its application. I mean, what's, what's the context here for Peter? The context was there were mockers and scoffers who didn't understand God's economy of time. And because they didn't understand God's economy of time, they used it as a, as a source of doubt to try to create doubt, try to come against God's truth. They're trying to dismiss the fact that Jesus promised there was a second coming because they made this very mistaken claim that everything is the same as it always has been. And if you're here last week, we saw how Peter says, no, it hasn't time out false cap. It hasn't been always the same. And he goes back to creation. He says, number one, everything has not been the same. Even since create, even from day two to day three, it's been different. The first week of creation, it changed every single day. And he says, and not only that, the world looked really, really different after God brought judgment. And I think very clever in his argument, almost like, and God brought judgment on scoffers, just like you during the time of Noah. And so these mocking voices were trying to create doubt. And so discord and mistrust of God's word and the promises of God. Because they didn't understand the economy of God's economy of time. And, and, and again, guess what? It, we can find ourselves in that same place too. We can find ourselves entertaining similar voices of doubt when we forget God's economy of time. It's true also when we forget God's economy of worth and wealth and riches. It's also true when we forget God's economy of position and power. So you experience something that seems to contrast and stand at odds with what we, we know of God, we think of God, or maybe even what we expect of God by our standard. And what happens when it doesn't meet our standard? Well, disappointment arises. Doubts can arise. You find yourself in that place. You, 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 you gave it your best. You gave it your all. And yet now you had a hope for an outcome. You had a hope of it. You had an expectation of something and then it didn't come. And what happens? Questions arise, right? Where's God in this? How come this didn't happen? Why, why did he let this happen? I, I thought, Lord, if I did this, you promised that. And if I did this and then this, and then this would be the result. And so Peter puts forth a really important truth for us to remember. That God's economy of time is not the same as ours. And, and what undergirds this is the fact that God is the creator of it all. And so he, he's sovereign in his creation and what he wants to do, and how he wants to do it, and when he wants to do it. And, and as the creator of time in the universe, right, he, God sits outside of time. He sits outside of, of space. 
but we're the created ones. We sit inside this construct. Time is a dimension of space. It's a dimension of creation. It is a physical reality that we are bound to. We cannot get it. We can't escape it. We're constrained by it. But God's not. We, we, we use the terms like we run out of time or time flies fast. It's from our perspective. But for the Lord, it, nothing's too long. Do you realize that? For God, nothing's too short. No lapse of time impedes his purposes. Doesn't have the same calendar. So because of that, his perspectives are different. His purposes then are radically different than ours. And, and we're told Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Or my ways aren't your ways. My purposes aren't your purposes. He says, and neither are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For why? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Okay, why, why is this important for us to know and remember? Why, why would Peter bring our attention to you know, the original audience and as we read it today? Because our sense of time and our value of time is completely different. And it's good to remember, God doesn't operate on my timetable. God is not beholden to my calendar or my itinerary. And along with often then my plans and my expectations. Now, we, we understand this in the natural a little bit, different sense of time. Maybe like me, you have family members or you're, you have friends and, and to the, their sense of time is completely different. They're like, oh, it'll just be 30 minutes. And you know, all right, you already know, you can interpret that as three hours. Because their concept of 30 minutes is not based on reality. And it's true of us too. Again, maybe you can relate. I, I feel like when I was younger, time went slower. Like third period history was forever. And now that I'm an older man, I find myself asking often, where did the time go? Like it just seems like it has accelerated for me. And so we understand in the natural God's concept of time, guess what? It's very, very different than your concept of time and my concept of time. And again, if you're like me very often, uh, when it comes to the timing of things, I usually want things now, right? My expectations are now because like you, I, I live in this world and the value of this world, it esteems speed and quickness. I mean, speed is a selling point. We want faster processors and faster cars and faster cooking times. Like we want things that are quick, shorter waits. Like we're shocked and like we have to wait a week. I just put that order in. 
Anybody remember dial-up internet? Us old people. Remember when you had to drop your film off and then you had to wait a few days to get your pictures back? This generation knows nothing of that. Like even little kids know right away, take a picture, let me see. I mean, nowadays we adore, and maybe I wouldn't say that we expect instant. That's our culture. Instant. Instant savings, one-click purchase, instant coffee, instant pot, instant noodles. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of the two-minute microwave rice packs. Whoever invented that, God bless them. But we've been indoctrinated because we live in this culture to expect quick to, to expect now we want instant. And so that's the world that we, we, we operate and live in so often. The problem is, is that we impose then our expectation, the, what the world sells, what the world promotes and esteems as valuable in terms of time and instant results. And we take that and we put it into our faith. We put it into our prayers. We put it into our relationship with the Lord. And we're like, God, what happened? I want it now. Why do you mean I have to wait? And God says, my, my measure, time is not yours. My, my calendar looks, my pace is completely different. God doesn't operate in our constraints, in our demands. And the problem arises for me and maybe for you is I, when I forget that. When I forget that. Because then I find myself frustrated and I find myself disappointed. I can find myself uh, even getting angry and agitated at God. Maybe you do too. And when we forget this, we get disillusioned and we get down because it didn't happen according to my plan and my calendar and what I thought should be happen. In case in point, the Philippines trip. I was really bummed. I was bummed on multiple levels. I was bummed because I wanted to go. We haven't been in several years. I was bummed because there's some amazing families that wanted to come. And I thought, man, I want to share this experience. You know, it's something you love and, and, and it's something dynamic and it's, and it, you know, it's, it's impactful it's meaningful, it's life-changing, and it's fun. And so it was just disappointing that couldn't find a, a solution. And then I just felt terrible for disappointing so many of you. And so I feel like I have to practice what I'm preaching. To trust the Lord. All right, God, it's not your timing. And so Peter's telling us plainly, God's sense of time is not like ours. And so what happens then? What, what, what does God's sense of timing provide for us? Especially when there a, a, seems to be a delay according to our expectation, it becomes opportunity. And what's the opportunity? It's an opportunity for us to grow, to increase our trust, to increase our faith, 
And that can be true of two things. You know, it can be true on one level when it seems to go way slower than we would want. You ever been in that place? God, God told you not yet. God's told you to wait. The thing that you want, the thing that you've been praying for, the thing that you're hoping, the thing that you're pursuing is delayed. It's delayed by our standard of expectation and time. Let's use Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus as another example. Later on from Luke 10, fast forward to another season. Lazarus, Lazarus gets really sick. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus and they have a personal relationship with them. He stayed at their house. They've broken bread together. And, and word gets to Jesus, John 11, that Lazarus is really sick. And then John 11 verse six, it says, and so when, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, here's what it doesn't say. He dropped everything and he, and he went straightway to Bethany. It doesn't say that. What, what John records for us is that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. He stayed. And, and our observation, our perspective, we read that we're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like he's purposely delaying. He didn't act right away. Where, where is your sense of urgency? And yet we reading that also have the advantage to know how it's going to play out. And the fact that Jesus even says, listen, this is going to be for a greater glory. The disciples didn't understand it at the time. They're, one of their concerns is, is that Jesus is a public enemy number one in Jerusalem. But the Lord had a master plan for his timing. He had a, he had a reason for his, what seems to be a delay. And for all involved, it becomes a lesson of faith for the disciples, for Mary, for Martha. Believing God for greater things and that greater things were at stake. The Lord, the Lord sees a bigger picture. All of the components, all of the parts of what he wants to do, not just in Lazarus life, but for his family, for his friends, for the community. And church family, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in that place that you feel like your pleas and your prayers and your expectations, they've been delayed. Can I encourage you to be encouraged today? Don't forget God's timing. God's timing is perfect. And it's not going to look like our timing. And God sees a bigger picture and God sees all of the parts and pieces. We can't see them. And God has a plan and greater things he wants to accomplish in your life and with your life. And I pray we can rest in that. Now, maybe for you, it's not something you want God to, 
to bring, but maybe it's something you want God to bring you out of. You've been waiting, waiting not for something, but for some, for release, for relief. You've been waiting for the thing to pass. Listen, this is a, a, a word for you as well. Think about Paul in, in prison when he's writing the book of Philippians, right? He, he has a, a perspective change. He comes to realize God's ordained this, this season where he's not doing what he normally does. He's not out preaching and planting churches and, and discipling people face to face. He's in a prison and he's writing emails Epistle mails. And what does he say in Philippians 1, 12 through 13? He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have actually served to advance the gospel. Because as a result, the idea is as a result of me being here in a place, maybe, you know, he didn't want to be or choose to be initially. He says, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. That his restriction, his isolation, his being away from loved ones. One perspective would be like, that's terrible. And yet Paul came to realize, no, it, God's ordained this for me, this season, this chapter, for such a time as this. And so maybe that's how you relate. You've been waiting to be released, wanting to go. And God said, nope, not yet. So the Lord's not done with you, whatever that may be in this season, working in you and through you. And, or maybe it, Maybe it's completely the opposite. Maybe it's just gone by much quicker than you hoped. Listen, e either way, we can understand God's intention behind time. God's intention behind his timing is that we grow. That we can grow in, in trust of him. Grow in our faith. You know, I, I was thinking about this. I think, again, if you're like me, that I, I, I trust that God is going to bring us to heaven one day. And, and I trust that God in his great love and grace for you and for me sent Jesus. God came as a, as a man, as we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, Emmanuel, that Jesus was born, that he lived without sin, perfect as a substitute, as proxy for you and for me, because we can't, we don't. And that he, that he died, he was crucified on a cross, that he died to satisfy the requirement of the law for the wages of sin is death. But the, the gift of God is eternal life. And that Jesus claiming who he was, three days later, he rose again from the grave. As he told the religious leaders, as he told the disciples, can destroy this temple and in three days I'm going to, I'm going to raise it back up. I, I believe that. And I believe that we have the hope and the promise of heaven that Jesus died for our sins. And we, and we sing of our love for the Lord and we declare our love. 
and we declare that we want to live for the Lord. And if you're like me, I'd say, Lord, I, I trust you with everything. And yet I, we get tested the moment that something feels like it's just too long or it doesn't match our agenda. We get frazzled. What, what is that? It's a test of maturity. That's what that is. And sometimes the nuance of this test isn't, do we trust God's ability? No, we say we trust God's ability. The question is, do we trust God's timing? Do we trust God's timing? Again, th- this, this is a test for me in our Philippines trip. I wanted to go. And God closed the door for now. And so I have to trust him for this closed door at this time. And so his timing's not, his economy of time is completely different than ours. And Peter focuses in and says, hey, here's the one thing for them in regards to this. Don't forget that. And then he adds in verse nine, that the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but he's long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. These words slack and slackness, it means slow, it means tardy or delayed or undetermined. And essentially what Peter is writing here is saying, God's not slow. God's not wishy-washy when it comes to his word or his promises to us. And here's the idea. God's, God's not like us. I mean, we make and we break our promises. And we might have good intentions. We might make great plans. But sometimes we can have terrible execution. We don't follow through. We don't complete it. I mean, ha, ha, you know, New Year's is coming. Ha, anybody complete all of their New Year's resolutions from last year? I, I didn't. I was ambitious. I, I wanted to, you know, read so many books and, you know, um, minimize some of our house. I think I got more things. And I started, I started a bunch of books. I haven't finished them. I mean, that's why we, I think we like the saying, well, it's the thought that counts. And we usually say that because we, what we intended didn't happen. So that's what we default. Well, I, I had good intentions. <laughs> and so what are we to remember as well? We remember that God's not like us in this, that God keeps his promises perfectly. He says, you know, God's not slack concerning his promises uh, as some people count that as some people make this evaluation, this determination, this perspective, their, their perspective skewed. Because God's not like us. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and he's not fulfilled? And of course, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course not. God keeps his promises perfectly. In 2 Timothy 2.13, Timothy, Paul writes, says, even if we are faithless, which we are at times, God still remains faithful. Why? Because he won't deny himself. He won't, go, he won't do anything that's contrary to his own nature and his own character. And so once again, why is this important for us? Because, because we, what, you know what this speaks of? It speaks of a flawed evaluation. Our very limited and finite perspective creates a very limited evaluation. 
We don't see as God sees. We can't fathom what God knows. We are ill-equipped to make a rightful judgment on the purposes and the plans and the intentions of the Lord. And whatever criteria a person may use to count slow or delayed or or, uh, undetermined, it's, it's, we're using the wrong standard. And so it's the idea that we have to be really careful that we don't assume that we know what God is doing and why God is doing what he's doing. That's the idea. God's not slack concerning his promises. Doesn't change his character. God is a God of love. God is a God of light. God is a God of grace. God is a God of goodness. And even though something that may happen in our life or a delay or an event that seems contrary to that, be careful that you don't apply our ill judgment. You know, we don't have all the data points. God's still at work. Peter provides this perspective. He says, your, your assessment's wrong. God's not delayed in the sense that he's uh, forgetful. He says, but what, what's the reality? What, what's the perspective, the proper perspective? No, God's long suffering. So he sets the record straight. The doubter, the scoffer misjudges the purposes of God. They make an evaluation. It's wrong because why the the mockers fail to realize that, that Christ hasn't come back yet because God's really patient with us and God has a purpose for that. And so what seems like God's delay or God, God's lack of involvement is really an act of God's love. It's really an act of God's mercy. It's really an act of God's good desire. And and the same is true for us. When we look at something like God, Lord, why didn't you do this for me? Why didn't this happen? And and we we can make ill judgment. God must not care. God must not be real. God, God must be absentee. And yet the, the, the record really is, no, God, God loves you. God's good. God has a, a plan. It's an act of love. It's an act of, of kindness. And so the timing of God really becomes a quality of God's temperance. And so in this case, it's the fact that God is perfectly patient. And notice he says he's patient towards us. It's not just patient for patience sake. It's intentional for you and for me. That's the idea that his economy of time is very different. And so his level of patience is also very different, but it's for our benefit. That's the idea. And if I'm really honest, I thank God that he's infinitely more patient than I am. Cause I do think that if I was God, I would have been done with me a long time ago. I don't know. 
it, it seems the more that the world increases in its speed and the timing of things and it's, uh, you know, shortening our weight. It seems the correlation for me is the shorter my patience also has become because of my expectation. I don't like to wait long. And sometimes I'll jump lines at a store. I feel like it's Murphy's law. Why am I always in the longest line? You know. And sometimes I find myself even being a little agitated with some people in my household because their sense of time is way different than my sense of time. Does every family have like the slow sloth? Is it just my family? It's like they take forever to eat. I'm like, what? Come on. Like we're already done. And they're just taking their time. I'm like, I'm going to buy you Velcro shoes. You take forever to tie your shoe. I feel like so often I'm like, let's go already. That's a phrase. I'm like, let's. And I'll confess. Sometimes I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to go. If you're not in the car by this, I'm leaving. Guess what? We never wear God's patience thin. He's not in a rush. He's perfectly patient and he's very kind towards you and me. And we can be thankful for that. We can be thankful, think, be thankful that I'm not God. And be thankful that God's willing to suffer long for us. And, and what, what I see Peter doing here is he's, he's talking about God's timing. He's talking about God's patience, his temperance. The idea is that they're connected. There's a purpose for the timing of God. And, it, and again, it's connected to our good. God has this master plan, even what seems like to be a delay because he's never late. He's never, he's never too early. I mean, even Christmas in Galatians four verses four through five, it says when the time, the set time, the established time, another scripture says the ordained time had fully come. God sent his son at the right time, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as God's kids into sonship. Galatians four verses four through five in Romans five verse six in the NIV. It says, you see, Paul writes, you see at just the right time at God's perfect time while you and I were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly. Well, the Lord has a perfect timetable. And so not only uh, is his timing different, but his intentions, his intentions are good. And, and not only are God's thoughts and ways higher than ours, God also declares though we can trust that they're good. They're good. Even though they're higher than ours, his ways aren't ours, but we can trust that they're good. Jeremiah 29, 11, do you know that verse? I encourage you to memorize it learn it, read it, highlight it. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil. Thoughts to give you a future and a hope. Like good, good thoughts that God thinks towards us. They're higher than ours. They're, his ways are higher than ours, but understand they're good for your benefit. 
Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken. And when you can't trace his hand in your life, you can trust his heart. And what is his heart? Why is he delaying in regards to the second coming of Christ? Why is he so patient towards us? He's patient, period. But why is he patient towards us, especially in this? Because God's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. Peter moves from the God's timing to his temperance and now to the tenderness of God. Here's the heart of God. Peter explains what God, his apparent delay is really by design. And what is that? What are we to remember? That God wants as many people to be saved as possible. We're we're to remember God's heart. You know, when we talk about the will of God, we can understand it in two ways. There's, there's, there's a a sense in which that word expresses a, a, a divine it's from the Lord. It's immutable. It's a decree that nothing will impede the purposes of God. It's going to happen. Isaiah 14, 27 for the, for the Lord of hosts has purposed that who's going to annul it. Who cancels God? Nobody. His hand is stretched back. Who's going to turn it back? The idea is nobody is. And the prophet Isaiah basically says, if God's willed it to be done, that nothing's going to change it. And so in one sense, when we talk about the will of God, we we, we are talking about the unchangeable plan and purpose that God sets forth, that God decrees, and, and nothing's changing that. But then there's also this sense, as we read in scripture of the will of God, as God's desire. And it's set forth more of, of, of God's heart for us that we then would be in pursuit and agreement because God knows what's best for us. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. People still struggle with that. Yeah, yeah, they do, but it's the will of God. That's God's desire. It's an invitation to come into pursuit of the Lord and holiness and purity. First Thessalonians 5.18 and everything and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Is that a decree that goes forth that we do all the time? I'd argue no. Is it something God would want us to do and pursue? Yeah. That's the heart of the Lord. First Peter 2.15, for this is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant speech of foolish people. And so God's will is expressed in each of these, but, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's automatically going to happen. But rather the, the idea is that that's God's heart for us, that, God, that we would pursue those things. And we can understand this verse in that same light. God isn't declaring that everybody is going to be saved. That's called universalism, by the way, and and it's not biblical. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate that leads to destruction, right? Broad is that road and many enter it, but small or narrow is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it, Matthew 7. And so what can we rightly conclude? The heart of God. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to leave this life outside of a relationship with Jesus. 
But he wants all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of truth. First Peter, or excuse me, first Timothy two verses three through four tells us that, that God wants all people to be saved. But he doesn't force our faith. We, we are not created as robots. God is completely sovereign in his likeness and in his image. We, we have a lesser sovereignty. And so we can reject, we can refuse, or we can receive, and, and we can turn our hearts to the Lord. But know this, this is God's heart and desire for you. This is God's heart and desire for our family and our friends and our neighbors and for the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But understand this, God doesn't coerce us to Christ. We, We choose of our own accord. The spirit reveals the Lord to us. Reveals the love of Christ to us. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And then our response is that we receive Jesus as our Lord and our savior. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because God wants as many people to get saved as possible. And when that Final number is done. We're out of here. Maybe that's you today. You're delaying all of us. I pray if you do not know the Lord, if you have yet to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, that today would be the day that you do that. It's, it's God who opens your heart and opens your eyes and your mind to understand his tremendous love and grace for you. And the fact that all of us, every single one of us are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God, but God's gift is eternal life. And it's only through Jesus Christ and that you would receive him today. It's not a formula. It's really just, you believe that in your heart. You confess that with your mouth. The Bible says you'll be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for just this very important reminder for us that your timing is not our timing. Your ways are not our ways. And Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness if we've been impatient or frustrated or angry even. Lord, we want to yield and submit ourselves to your calendar, not ours. Not to demand our way, but to find delight in the fact that you're good and Lord, even in your delays, there's a purpose. Lord, there's good reason behind the no's and the not yet. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just find our peace there. Our perspective and our evaluations, it's so skewed. We don't have all the data points. We don't see as you see. We don't know as you know. And so Lord, forgive us for um, making the wrong conclusion as to why you are doing or not doing something. And Lord, ultimately, you know, when it comes to the turn of Christ, the bigger picture of our life and purpose, Lord, you desire for everyone to get saved. You don't want anybody to perish. Your word says so. And so I pray if there's anybody here this morning, that today would be the day they yield to the call of your spirit and surrender their lives to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen.